everyone, and welcome to Queen's Speech, the podcast where two old Nellies talk about gender and its impact on same-sex attracted people, lesbians, gays, and on occasion bisexuals. With us today, we have Dr. Az Hakim, who is a consultant psychiatrist, a psychotherapist, and a fellow of the Royal College of Psychiatrists. He's also a qualified group analyst and has previously used this training to develop and facilitate the unique therapeutic practice of mixed group therapy sessions with, de- with gender dysphoric patients, both pre and post transition. He's the author of Trans, Exploring Gender Identity and Gender Dysphoria, and a new book entitled Detrans, When Transition is Not the Solution. Welcome, Dr. Az, to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hello. Uh, with me today, of course, as always, is my trusty sidekick, Mr. Dennis Kavanagh. Hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm pretty good, thank you. Hello, Clive. And hello, well, Dennis. Well, um, I think we'll just launch straight into it. This is episode 70 of Queen's Speech. First of all, I would just like to give a shout out to some of the subscribers who have asked to be mentioned. And I've only had two uh, positive responses to that. Uh, So that is Vera in blue jeans. Thank you for your contribution. And Dusty Masterson, thank you also for your contribution, all of which goes to the further betterment and development of the show. So first thing, Dr. Az, could you just tell us a bit about your new book, D-Trans? And do you mean it's taken 70 episodes to invite me on? I mean, what yeah. was all the other six? <laughs> <laughs> mainly, 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 mainly Dennis gobbing off about the law. We had to get all the good guests out of the way first, as You're we working just, up to the big event. That's yeah. right, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm the money shot. Okay, cool. Okay, so, so my first book, Trans, was quite diplomatic, and I would suggest skip that. Go straight to D-Trans. And I didn't want to have to be diplomatic. I wanted to actually, this is the book I wanted to write, which is, it's not just about detransitioners. It's about debunking all the gender ideology nonsense, all those myths that are propagated, that people are believing are facts, like, you know, people born in the wrong body, or if you don't affirm your trans-identified child, they'll kill themselves, or only 1% of transitioners regret it. This is all nonsense. We know it's bunkum, but a lot of people don't. And so half of the book is me critiquing gender ideology. I give a recap on what on earth is this trans thing, because it's not a thing, it's lots of things. And half the book is the life stories of people who at one point believed that they were born in the wrong body, believed that they needed to, to change their sex, and then at some point realised it was a big mistake, either before or after they'd had irreversible physical treatments. And I'm really grateful to those people for giving a very open and honest and brave account of themselves. And then the the, the last bit of the book is about uh, gender critical resources and help and help for for defunders. So it's um, you know it's perfectly timed in the run up for Christmas. It was the ideal present for anybody <laughs> at all. Um, and anybody who has any child who's at school where they're being taught this gender ideology nonsense, this will at least be a buffer um, to the nonsense they're being indoctrinated with. And every day, every day, a friend of mine calls me and says that there's, they've got a friend whose child has come home from school and says they're now trans. What do they do? So this is this is the antidote. This is the this is the antidote to the venom to stop them being poisoned. Good on you. you Excellent. <laughs> well, I think it's much needed, and I've read uh, I've read your book, and you do give a very ex a very good critique of the kind of stuff that's being pushed in schools, which would be really useful for parents to have when uh, their kids come home with questions that arise from these. Uh, terrible lessons that but they're being taught well at least they either come home with questions or they'll just come home saying i'm trans yes yes yeah i think a lot of very young children are getting quite distressed by it as well i remember reading about um a primary school class where they reintroduced uh one of the students who had uh socially transitioned from a 
girl, a boy to a girl. And um, a lot of the students were crying, thinking, does that mean I have to be a girl now? You know, the, 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 the cognitive processes of a infant don't seem to be taken into account when they're introducing these ideas, you know, that you can suddenly become a girl. Well, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've kind of had patients who, who talk as if it's some sort of careers choice. Um, they said, well, at school, we were told that you can choose your gender now. And, and because of that, I was thinking, and they're considering options like what degree to do at university as if it is like a, just an open choice. Mm. And, and if, if you're, if you're vulnerable, um, you know, on the autistic spectrum disorder, as a lot of these patients are, then they really do think it's a choice they can make. And they're just going to do option A or option B. And it's the opposite of what we'd hope in terms of encouraging people to be, you know, whatever they want to be in themselves and mm. encouraging a bit of, you know, looking after people who are gender non-conforming. The, the moment there's any sort of gender non-conformity to archaic stereotypes, they're encouraged to be the opposite sex, which is ridiculous. It's everything that we've tried not to do mm. in the past years. Mm. So regressive, isn't it? It's really regressive. So yeah. regressive. I mean, it be, it, it's really weird because it makes me think of those adverts for Lego in the 1970s. Hours. I don't know if you've seen those. I'm probably and too young to those, Dennis. I, I doubt that very much. You probably remember the 1870s. But in any event, um, they're, they're, you know, nice little adverts for Lego. And there's a girl in dungarees. And it's made very clear. You know, this is a toy for boys and girls. Whereas if you compare it to Lego today, you can get sort of nice pink sparkly Lego for girls and, you know, big blue macho Lego for boys. And it's it's so damned regressive. I cannot understand why people don't see that, you know. Yeah, I, I, had, I had a friend who showed me, who was very upset, he showed me um, this exercise book of his daughter that he'd mm. found in his room and she'd had some sort of gender ideology teaching she's only like i think she's eight and he showed mm -hmm. me in the exercise book she'd scribbled things like i like football i'm not a really real girl uh, i should be dead oh um, my god yeah yeah and 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 lots of tears and things on there and I thought this obviously isn't a very useful lesson that she's had you know just no, traumatizing an eight-year-old girl. You're encouraging people that they're wrong. You know, I always said nobody is wrong, but you're really teaching children that they are wrong if they like or don't like certain things. Mm. You know, I hated rugby. I was a yeah. goth. I was covered in makeup. You know, they would have trans me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of gay men who, looking back on their childhood, say exactly the same thing, including me. I was Ooh. a very atypical boy. I didn't like football, I didn't like sports, I didn't like hanging out with other boys, all of my friends were girls, I enjoyed playing their games with them, um, I wasn't very interested in anything really, climbing trees, going and exploring, anything that's typically male, I was much happier being at home, reading, writing little stories for myself, and I think as well, you get a sense when you're gay, you get a sense very early on, or certainly I did, that you're not like the other boys. And therefore, in the simplistic mind of a child, you might think, well, perhaps, I'd, perhaps I'm really a girl. Yes. And absolutely. now that gets really reinforced for you, that yes, you can actually be a girl. And you're, invited, I, you're invited to think that you are. And there's that awful toxic book with a teddy bear that decides it should be a girl teddy bear that they're indoctrinating children with in this supposedly harmless way. But it, it exactly propagates that idea that if you don't like certain things, you're wrong and you can change into something which will make you feel happier. And that's the basic tenet that all the patients, well, the, 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 you know, the, the, all the people that I saw in the you know, I mean, seeing these people for 23 years, the, the, they come with a solution. And the solution is, I should be the other sex. And how they got there is by various routes, because they might have got there because they're a transvestite, or because they're an autogynophile, or because they feel they're transsexual. But, they, but how they got there might be because, well, actually, they've done some faulty data processing. And they've, mm -hmm. they've, they've, if you take them through sequentially each step, you can see how they've ended up there. And rather than saying, 
oh yes you are your your wrong answer to your maths question is really right you should try and work out with them how they got there and mm. maybe the end result is that they could be happy with themselves mm. that's controversial apparently yes <laughs> and I, I i don't understand that because that to me as a mental health nurse previously and a mental health nursing lecturer that seems to me standard practice for any kind of psychological distress is to find out what the person's narrative is how have they come to where they are absolutely and, and if, if you look in psychiatry so if you've got someone who believes that the government is bugging their house and is and bugging their phone and is, is interfering with their thoughts and can hear their thoughts you don't affirm them and say yes they mm. are you mm. try and challenge and explore and maybe work out whether that whether that really is the case if you've got a someone who's anorexic and says i really believe i should be thinner you don't affirm them and say yes you should be i'll help you lose weight if you have a depressed person who is suicidal and says i really think i should be dead you don't affirm them and help them to die you you try and critique and challenge and help them and understand them you don't hate them for not affirming them mm. you're trying to help them and understand them but in gender We've been hoodwinked. Well, I haven't. Well, lots of people have been hoodwinked into believing that you can't challenge and critique because then you're phobic of them, which is, of course, ridiculous. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I I don't understand why this is particularised in the way that it is, why this is an exception to the general rule of if someone presents with uh, psychological distress. We don't automatically accept the solutions that people have come up with for themselves. So why do we do that on this particular, solely particular subject? Um, <laughs> ordinary. And it, 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 I, I just can't understand how psychiatry and paediatric psychiatry got so captured. Because as you pointed out, as you don't take this approach with any other cohort of patients. People in the profession must know on some level this is exceptional and this is wrong. We know from the history of the Tavistock JITS service that people were rightly uh, terrified of the influence of mermaids and people like that. But, uh, you know, with the, with the Gids, why did this line of defence fall? With, with GIDS, it was a combination of the influence of mermaids plus coming from an essentially homophobic institution. You know, an institution mm -hmm. where, you know, when I said to the, someone very high up in kids, well, surely what you're doing is mad. These little boys were descended of being gay. And he said, is it any more uh, um, mad if they were to become gay than if they were to become yeah. trans? So the Bloody institution, hell. which is based on homosexuality being a inversion, an erroneous outcome, not right, um, and rather than something acceptable. It's, it's, it's just extraordinary um, that someone would, would, would say that. I've always suspected that they thought in, the, in that fashion. I've always suspected that the medical establishment still regards... The medical establishment did, but, this, like, the, but the Tavistock very much so. I mean, the Tavistock, yeah. I know people who weren't accepted for training, who weren't accepted for consultant posts and told that that, that was because they were gay. So really? Can, yeah, yeah, and that's only yeah. in, the, in the 2000s. That's not... That's not like last century. <laughs> it was last century, but you know, it's uh, the you know, it's recent. Yeah. Does that come? Does that come from like the psychoanalytic tradition? Like, because I think it <clears throat> was it was it Freud or so 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 you know, Freud was essentially a scientist. But if you think about it, he was in 1900. You know, he wasn't mm. there so around that time. We were drinking mercury to cure you know sore throats and stuff. So. I, you know, rather than evolving psychoanalysis, lots of people get stuck where he was without refining it. So there are plenty of contemporary analysts who are totally fine, but there are some people in their cult-like rigidity who, who are stuck in 1900 or 1920 with Klein. And so Freud said that um, homosexuality was rather than a perversion, an inversion. And what he meant was that uh, for a boy, for a male, they haven't navigated through their Oedipal complex. So the Oedipal complex is um, 
the performance is not controversial, it's quite normal. So all it means is that when you're a boy, you're very close to mummy and you want to be as close to mummy as possible, but then you realise that mummy seems to be really close to daddy and that you, you have this realisation that there's something between mummy and daddy that I will never achieve, um, so I'll just won't bother trying to fight with daddy about it. I'll let daddy have mummy and one day I'll have my own mummy of my own. That's all the Oedipal complex. It's not about having sex with your mother. Oedipus mm. in Greek mythology is about having sex with your mother. He just used that term in terms of relationally being close to your mother. So that's the Oedipal complex. Um, and all Freud said was that if you haven't navigated your Oedipal complex, you you end up um, um, wanting uh, wanting daddy, which then turns into sort of sexualizing this wanting of daddy and then wanting that that's how it ends up. So rather than navigating your way through the complex, you get, you, you're stuck in it and you have a, an inversion where you end up wanting to have sexual relations with daddy rather than with a mummy. Okay. And then later on, that was, that was, you know, I mean, you know, Freud thought that snogging was a, was a, was a perversion. You know, <laughs> he did. He did. So he thought smoking was a perversion, all sex was a perversion. Anything that wasn't closed lip kissing or, or you know, sex for purposes of procreation. So he's a bit old fashioned. He's a bit you know Victorian. Mm-hmm. Um, but then things developed, and you know there are plenty of psychoanalysts who are totally fine. But there are some who are very you know gospel like who who don't. Refer- it's a bit like being a doctor but only believing in nineteen twenties medicine. Hopefully yeah, the doctors left. Um, so I think it's a mixed bag uh, uh, psychoanalyst, but the time of was very, very, very conventional when I was there. So I was there from 2000 to 2012, and it was a bit like being in 1900 or 1920. Wow. Right. Okey And so that could explain some of the attitudes towards gender non-conforming children as well. That yeah, well, you're heterosexualizing people who'd otherwise be gay, yeah. Yeah. Saving them from that inversion or psychosis or madness, whatever they thought it was. Right. So it's considered mm. more favorable to turn them into, in inverted commas, heterosexual members of the opposite sex than it is to. Yeah, allow them in the Middle East. Be... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like they do in Iran. Yeah. yeah. I believe that's state sponsored, isn't it? They yeah, pay yeah, for yeah, gender you, reassignment. Yeah. You can get, yeah, you, it's positively encouraged. Mm. I don't know about Iran, but in the Middle East, definitely. And I was um, I was looking at your uh, book, and I was really struck by the stuff you said about autistic spectrum disorder and the kind yeah. of thinking that goes along with that. Very binary, very black and white. Um, very much you're either with me or against me, and it led me to think that the whole trans movement could be considered to be an autistic movement by oh, which i mean absolutely not, not not composed of autistic people but the organization behaves the, the movement behaves like a, a um in an autistic fashion so so i i wrote this paper you know all those academic papers that absolutely nobody reads apart from yourself so i wrote this paper um called parallel processes and i coined the term parallel process in the group analytic uh, lexicon and what i described was there's a process that you observe in the mind of a patient that's characteristic that then gets observed in the treatment setting that is also observed in the system or society that mm. that's taking place so if you think about the <clears throat> the the mind of the of the let's call them transsexuals because they are different from transvestites and all my male patients in retrospect, were on, on the autistic spectrum. They were very, they had characteristic, very rigid, very black and white, yes, no, right, wrong, male, female thinking. There was no grey, there was no possibility of considering other frameworks, what they thought was right and everyone else was wrong. And so, yeah, that lends itself to men are like this, 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 and this, women are like this, 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 and this. If I'm not like this, I should be that. So that's sort of a very black and white way of thinking. And then that, and then... That, as you said, stems out into the therapy. So it's like, yes, I am, no, you're not, yes, I am, no, you're not, and into the society. And it becomes a very, either you you agree with us or you hate us. You like us or we hate you. And it's And there's a concept with autism called autistic meltdown. And if you've read or seen The Curious Instance of the Dog in the Night, which is an amazing book, they describe really wonderfully the, the concept of autistic meltdown, which is basically like a emotional nuclear 
explosion that happens in the autistic mind when things don't go as they want it to. So for an autistic child, it might be the baked beans are touching their fish fingers, of which there's a completely disproportionate uh, nuclear emotional fallout. It's like the world has ended. And you see this in autistic adults as well. When, when they get angry, they go from zero to 100 immediately and have this full-on massive autistic meltdown. And a lot of why we're at where we're at is because, yes, you're right, the, the movement is not only composed of a lot of people on the spectrum, but if things don't go their way, they get really, really, really angry. And because they're otherwise intelligent people, being intelligent and being very angry has the effect of getting things done effectively. So they lobby uh, parliament, they lobby this, they lobby that. They lobby. And by lots of lobbying, uh, they, they manage to get their way. And if they don't get their way, they have a massive meltdown as so people are scared of them, so they just get their way. So I think that's part of the winning formula for them. Mm. Mm. And I think we've seen that in a lot of the protests against various events, the complete overreaction to a group of women uh, meeting to talk about their rights, the complete overreaction to even the mildest criticism, particularly when it comes from uh, women, uh, the recently in Edinburgh, where they screened the film Adult Human Female, there was a a, a massive overreaction by uh, students and buoyed up by some members of staff saying that this was going to make them feel unsafe. This was going to not make them just feel unsafe. This was going to make them actually so that, physically so, so unsafe. That's a wonderful example, because if you look at these often student protesters, they're not coming up with a discourse, an argument, a discussion. Mm. There's all those, do you remember all those scenes of that person in America that's in this classroom at the front just screaming? A lot of their responses yes. are just screaming. That is autistic meltdown. So when you cannot have uh, an uh, argue or have a discussion, when it's just my only argument is utter outrage and I'm going to scream and shout because this is how, that is autistic meltdown. They're not, they're not able to articulate their point or their reasons. You just have to agree. And if, they don't, if you don't agree, I will scream and shout. And if you look at the protesters, that's all, they might have a mantra, but there's no discussion. There's no, you know, it's just, imagine if Parliament was like that. Imagine if you just had the, the left and the right-hand side of the commons just like screaming all day. We wouldn't get anything done. No. No, and whoever, well, whoever screamed the loudest would be the one who got things done, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and I'm not going to characterise the entire trans movement as being composed only of autistic people. Well, I don't know what, actually, I, I, I would say that um, if you divide it up, as I said, into the transsexuals, the transvestites and autogynophiles, those who would be transvestites and autogynophiles are, def are, are not on the spectrum. But if I look at my transsexual patients, the biological males 100% were, the females, some of them were, and uh, and it was a mixture of uh, autism spectrum, trauma, and internalised lesbophobia. But the males, 100% on the spectrum. And I, and I wonder if people who aren't autistic then... Uh, adopt autistic-like behaviours because they see the I, I, I would say you'd struggle to find a biological male who's, who's, who is, who, who's transsexual, not transvestite, who doesn't have autistic traits. Right. Okay. I'm yet to see one. Wow. That's fascinating. Well, it's, but it's their black and white way of thinking. They cannot be subversive. Mm -hmm. So if you think about gender non-conforming gender non-conforming is being subversive they can't gender non-conform they have to conform so you know if you look at the neuromantics in the 80s and 70s and if you look at you know punk goth it was all about non-conforming and being subversive but if you're really black and white you cannot even tolerate subversion you have to just change yourself so I'd, i you know if you think of a spectrum between gender confident and gender underconfident if you're gender confident, you can look how you want to look and wear what you want to wear. And like, you know, like no boy George and Marilyn in the 80s weren't saying that they're women. They were saying, 
look, yeah. I, I'm I, you. I might be doing your head in about what I am, but I'm never. I'm not saying a woman. You, you need to change your framework of understanding if I'm if I'm, you know, messing it up. So they can do that. Whereas the gender underconfident person says, "Okay, I don't fit in your framework. Therefore, I'm wrong. I need to change myself." So it's to, being subversive and boundary breaking is completely at odds with the autistic mindset. Yeah, you meant you mentioned in the uh, in the introduction to that as that so one hundred percent of the transsexual males mm. were on the on the spectrum, but you also mentioned transvestites and AGPs. Can I mm. just go to AGPs because that's sort of subject of the week or the last couple of yeah, weeks? Really, I think most people media. that I think it's 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 cool to identify as transsexual. It's cool to identify as AGP, but it's certainly not cool to identify as transvestite, which the majority of them are. Yeah. And 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 yeah. in my first book, which you probably haven't read, Dennis, there's okay. I describe eleven different types of transvestite. So so okay. through working with them, I realised there are eleven different subtypes. But it's almost like none of them exist now because they're all just trans. No, no one says transvestite anymore. It's like Ooh, it's like the people are discussing Eddie any bloody man, is art. Any is man who wants to keep his genitals and wear women's clothing is basically a transvestite. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and as, as I say, you know, Eddie Izzard ten years ago would have called himself a transvestite. Well, he he doesn't do that. He did. He did. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now he, he calls absolutely himself, did. Yeah, and now he, he calls himself Susie. He said that he wasn't transsexual as well. But yes, now that people right. trans, that whether you're transvestite or transsexual, it's just abbreviated trans. They're 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 related to societally as if they're the same thing. And yeah. I've had patients who've gone and said they've told their their bosses, you know, um, you know, I'm, you know, at home, I'm, you know, um, you know, Claudette, and so I'd like to come to the work one day a week in women's clothes. The work are thinking, oh, he's probably having a sex change. Yes, we'll be accommodating, but he's just, just a transvestite. And yeah. you know, if you're, if you're a nudist, you wouldn't say, well, can I come to work one day a week naked? Um, or yeah, 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 yeah. Asher, can I come and? Flash one day a week in the in the, in the work. So you know, fetishes. Why are fetishes being um, accommodated? Um, I, I I completely agree with that. I also find it really heterosexual. Like this cross-dressing fetish that some straight guys have is it's been around forever. Um, oh, Helen Joyce yeah. talks about guys who graduate from jerking off into their wife's knickers to wearing the whole wardrobe. I think she's yeah. got a point. Yeah, just, but, but, but my point is, it's it's so heterosexual. I don't I don't see gay men being accommodated with fetishistic dressing in workplaces. You know, no one no one saying, yeah, you can come in one day a week in your blue oyster bar leather queen gear. You know, it's just I do actually know who does that. Oh yeah, it's not you, is it? Us? No. no. <laughs> But that's, that's the thing that really gets me about it. It's like when I hear AGPs droning on and on and on, and sorry, but I do find AGPs really boring. I'm so bored of them. Are they AGPs or are they fetishistic transvestites? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? it what's so the difference? AGP what's the difference? Really rare. So, okay, so a fetishist, a, a, a transvestite mm. is a bit like a renter versus a buyer. So the transsexual wants to buy in completely bodily into the opposite sex. A transvestite yeah. wants to keep their body, but they want to temporarily get in the external vestiges of a woman. So they want to put a woman on and take a woman off. And there was a, yeah. uh, one of my predecessors at the Portman Clinic, uh, Mervyn Glasser, a psychoanalyst in the 70s, he described this wonderful paper analysis of the transvestite, how they'd often come from, they're often boys with very smothering, overpowering mothers who in adulthood, they triumph over this, they, they conquer and master this smothering mother by putting their mother on and taking their mother off at will. Was zipping them wow. on and zipping them off, and I had lots of examples of that. I had, and they always they would always turn up looking like hyacinth bouquet or some sort <laughs> of middle-aged rotary club sort of you know <laughs> woman. And, yeah, like um, that guy with the Alice band yesterday. Climb. And and they they would describe a sense of empowerment by putting on this hyacinth bouquet uh, persona. And one of them said to me, you know, I'm scared of spiders, but when I put my, when I, in a sense, you put my mother on, I can beat them, or I'm scared of uh, flying, I can put my mother on, I can go on a plane. And, you know, all, so there's this sense, it's, it's a bit like, you know, Super Ted putting on his superhero costume, or yeah. Spider Man putting on his Spider Man, or su any superhero, it's the superhero thing. They put on this external outfit and they, 
they can become this other persona that gives them this other these other qualities. Um, and then if they get turned on by it, then it's a fetish. So they all don't, they don't all get turned on. Some of them just have this sense of something which they achieve. Some of them right. get turned on. So there's the fetishistic transvestites. Um, and it's all about the external appearance, the clothing. Whereas the AGP is mm. nothing to do with the clothing whatsoever. The AGP oh. is a sexual fantasy of having female bodily parts. So it's, it's, it's so that oh. the fetish transvestite gets turned on by the clothing, either the clothing affording them a sense of looking like a woman or the texture of the clothing or the, you know, the, the type of clothing. It might be the clothing itself or how it makes them look or the, the sadomasochistic transvestites will often look like a bad transvestite on purpose because they normally feel emasculated, not very manly, oh. and they, they, they look like a bad transvestite and children will point at them and shout, he's a man, he's a man, and they feel more masculine than they normally feel. So it's a way um, of affirming their masculinity. So when you see the really bad transvestites, they why can't they make more of an effort? Often it's because they it's the only way they can feel empowered in their masculinity is to have people pointing really? at them and saying, you're a man, yes. And the, wow. the, the, although the, the, those aren't the same those are the ones who feel emasculated. The sadomasochistic ones are doing it because they want to be humiliated. So they 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 would go out so they could be humiliated because their primary sexual desire was to be humiliated. So you know, the bad transvestites can be bad transvestites for a reason, either because they want to to be affirmed as being male, or because they want to be humiliated. Other transvestites do it because they want to pass, and they're their excitement is about passing. Others do it because of their own sexual fantasy about what it makes them look like. Whereas the, the AGP, they may or may not dress in women's clothes, but it's, it's not about the clothes for them at all. It's about the body. So they, their primary sexual uh, fantasy is having a vagina or breasts. And the, the irony is they might spend ages masturbating to the idea of not having a penis, but having a vagina or having breasts. It's nothing to do with the clothing. So when you get people with penises, um, in women's clothing, do not presume they're an AGP. They're a fetishist or transvestite. An AGP is there f solely focusing on the fantasy of having breasts and vagina. It's bodily, not clothing, and they're really oh, rare. Right. Yeah. Uh, how, but, how many have you? How many have you seen when you so say they're in really my rare? in my in my service that I ran? Uh, only five percent were AGP. Right. So really rare. Really rare. Yeah, yeah. So, but I get the sense on the internet because I have a lot of my my Twitter is just gender critical that yeah. whenever there's anybody who's clearly transvestite, they're they're presumed to be an AGP, and it's almost like we've we've cut out the whole massive eighty percent block of transvestite, and you're either transsexual or AGP. AGP has become the new word for tra fetish transvestite, which is it not. So and and and, so, and some people use it. I don't know if you followed the stuff at the Genspec conference, but there was a, a chap there, and he's written a book about being an AGP. He says he's an AGP, but I don't know. I'm beginning to wonder if he better fits your description of a fetishist. I, I don't know anything about him apart from he's caused a bit of a stir. I don't really know anything about him. But okay. you know, a, a true AGP, yeah. they will not be fantasizing of themselves in female clothing. They'll be fantasizing about themselves having breasts and a vagina. He nice. he he describes himself. He describes his um, condition, if you like, as auto heterosexuality, uh, as a sexual attraction to himself as a woman. Well, no, so that's that's very that's very different. That's very different from getting a thrill out of putting on a pair of tights, yeah, or yeah. a bra, or you know, a dress. But a lot of a lot of AG people people don't realise they're AGP and they think that they're transsexual. A lot of transvestites think they must be transsexual because they think, well, I like dressing in women's clothing, or I like the idea of having vagina and breasts. I must be a woman, therefore I must be transsexual. So unfortunately, a lot of AGPs I saw came to see me when it was too late because they'd they'd gone to their doctor and rather than you know you only get six minutes with your GP, don't you? So in the six minutes, it's quite hard to say. Well, I've been spending most of my life masturbating, thinking of having breasts and vagina. That you think I think I should be a woman, and they say, "Okay, I'll refer you to, yeah, I'll get, I'll get you to the gender clinic." And then there's oh, lo and behold, there's a two-year wait for the gender clinic. So they say, "Well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to give hormones and surgery. I'll do that myself." And they get on a plane, they go to Bangkok, and they have a vagina fitted. And the first thing that happens when you have a sex change is that you um, get your balls chopped off, you get castrated, 
And the first thing that happens when you get castrated is your sex drive just goes to the floor and disappears. So when you when your motivation for having a vagina and breast is completely libidinal, erotic, sexual, you wake up with no sex drive and going, shit, I've got a vagina I don't want. Wow. And that was that was how they then had this devastating sense of loss and suicidal depression. And that's how they came to see me. So they came to see me too late. Some I had a couple who, did, who saw me before that. So that was that was wow. good, but most of them came too late. And and this is and of course the the vagina and the breasts is not about having sex with men. They remain heterosexual. <laughs> well, no. So so some of them. So lots of my patients were asexual. Now lots of people again don't believe that's a thing. Um, so the more autistic the people are, the, the the more asexual they seem to be. But some people are just asexual anyway, even if they're not autistic. So I had autogynophiles who they they didn't really they weren't really interested in, in the object as in the other person. Their sexual their sexual interest was in themselves having a vagina and breasts. So any other person was there as an accessory to their primary sexuality, which was self centered. So if you have a self-directed sense, so their, their, their sexual object was themselves, not anyone else. So a partner would be like a sex toy, or like a vibrator or something. Mm. So the point of the other person was just to help them in their primary sexuality, which is their own body, their sexual relationship with their right. own body. So their sort of sexual satisfaction was their body. So a other person was just in order to you know, make that happen more. It's like people... Like, who, like a prop or something else. Like a prop. It's like people who sort of yeah. do those sort of computer game screens where they have to, like, populate the screen to make it look more realistic. So, yes, if you have a man coming yeah, in here yeah, doing yeah. this, that validates my vagina and my breasts. Yeah. It, it feels like a bit of a treadmill for some people. I see, you know, particularly kids who are lost on the internet or are going through this process. It's always about the next thing, the next set of hormones, the next operation and if I get this, they can never change sex but they believe that if there's one more thing they did then maybe it'll be real yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and that must be quite seductive to a certain way of thinking about things you know um well then eventually they realize that there isn't and they, then they then they go into the regretter category that's yeah. what was really useful for me mixing the the pre-op and the post-ops because the 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 pre-ops would talk about this, you know, you know idealised Nirvana state which they'd achieve, which would be blissful. And the post-ops were going, you sound just like I sounded, but look, honestly, it's not real. And it was very yeah. reality-orientated because they, they didn't ever have that. It's almost like an addiction as and having sort of reformed addicts with, you know, yeah. probation do this, funnily enough. Um, yeah. it, it sounds like that. And uh, So I would guess then, from what you've said, as that a lot of the um, more problematic trans-identified males are likely fetishistic transvestites, the yeah. ones who want to invade women's spaces, the ones who film themselves masturbating in women's toilets, the yeah. ones who insist they're a lesbian and they want women yeah. to validate their lesbianism. Yeah, uh, any, any, anyone who wants to keep their male genitals whilst dressing up in women's clothing is a transvestite. Transsexuals, you know, by and large, abhor their, their genitalia. They cannot stand them because they become totemic of what they cannot tolerate and they want to get rid of them. Any man that wants to keep his genitals whilst wearing a dress is a transvestite. Which, which so, is the vast majority of these guys. is a variant of a transvestite. Right. So ATP is like a specialist subset of transvestite where, it's, where the, the vestiges aren't the clothes but the, the female body. And in terms of sexuality, those AGPs are more likely to be heterosexual. Than yeah, there's no difference in, in sexuality prevalence than there are in the rest of the population. Right. And the homosexual transsexuals are maybe some of the kinds of uh, trans-identified males you see on drag race, very glamorous and very um, womanly and very feminine. They have surgery to make their faces look more feminine. They, they want to... Um, attract men would that be well a lot see a lot of my trans transsexuals um especially the more autistic ones had basically the more the more the more autistic the nearer they were to asexuality and right. the the most the most uh uh autistic would be 
the asexual ones, we had no interest whatsoever in so They didn't really get it. It was this icky thing that people did. They didn't understand it at all. And they're less autistic than they did have a sexuality. But the one, so if you go to the most extreme, the ones who don't have a sexuality, they could have facilitative sex. They could have sex because they were having neither an arousal or an aversion response. So if you have a sexuality and you try and have sex with something that doesn't correspond to your sexuality, you have an aversion response. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, a homosexual man and you think about having sex with a woman, you can't stand it, and vice versa, whatever. If you're bisexual, obviously, it's not a problem. But if you have, if you're asexual, you 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 neither have the erotic libidinal attraction or the aversion. So they might be friends with someone, and oh yeah, well they want to have sex, that's fine. And they might have a mechanical orgasm, not a psychological erotic libidinal one, and um. And then when they change sex, they can do that with other people. So they haven't changed their sexuality. They're just facilitating different people. Mm. Mm. But they often don't realise that that's the case because it's like being colourblind. How do you know you're colourblind? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. often you don't know what you're missing. To explain it to people. And they're going, oh yeah, oh, I don't have a sexuality. Could could I could I raise um, a different subject that you touched on just at the very start of the recording? As because I think it is important. Is that about the success of the kitchen? No, uh, it's not. It's it's about um, debunking this suggestion that if you if you don't affirm kids, they'll go and commit suicide. Oh, absolutely! I, I just wanted to. Yeah, well, I it's a dangerous myth that, that yeah. uh, the trans activists uh, and it's really quite awful actually because they come up with these lies, mm. and if you say something enough, then it becomes sort of like that. It's a bit like. Um, I know we don't like queer theory, but Judith Butler talked about the performative nature of gender, and she said how if you repeat something enough in society, it becomes a basis of a rule for a framework. So if you say something enough, like if you if you keep repeating, yeah. if you don't affirm a child, then people just repeat it, and it becomes like this sort of urban myth. It's, it's absolute nonsense. So um, there's probably a high rate of um, suicide in, in uh, trans-identified people who do change sex. Um, and mm. And if you think about it, rather than anything to do with the gender, there's a massive comorbidity in yeah. um, trans-identifying people, pre and post-op, um, with emotionally unstable personality disorder, depression, trauma, all these other things. And you know, if someone if someone kills themselves, it's probably because of the underlying personality depression situation is not about the gender. You know, they might have blue eyes. They're not killing themselves because they've got blue eyes. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a coexisting variable. It's not determinant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once upon a time, of course, it was you know, Samaritans would jump all over people who said you must not ascribe suicide to one particular mm. cause. That is irresponsible, and it's you know, you you. you being entirely irresponsible. Yeah. I just, I just. You know, I try to be forgiving of my opponents in this debate, but I do consider that quite a wicked strategy. Oh, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Totally, to, absolutely. Particularly when it's being said to parents mm. who don't know anything about this stuff and they just want to do the right yeah, thing. Yeah, would you rather have a trans child or a dead child? Well, that's yeah. not really the choice. That's not really the choice. Um, it's a boring thing to say to a mum and dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, Would you rather have a, not know a life that? child or a... Well, it's, 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 a it's, a, it's absolutely awful. But th these aren't people who are being sort of... These are people who are who are missionaries through a cult. They're yeah. not thinking of the well-being of a child or the family. They're just out to get more conscripts. Yeah, it's like Blade Runner, the replicants. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you. it's also dangerous the way that they weaponize violence against trans uh, people yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. These uh, trans days of remembrance. Without it's, it's, contextualizing, it was about people who died in the war, and and I was really confused because I thought <laughs> so the first transsexual was nine was 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 George Jorgensen in nineteen sixty. That's both after the first and second world war. So therefore, there was not a single trans person that died in World War One or two. So why are they why are they standing up next to cenotaphs and poppies saying trans? Uh -huh. there, there's not been a single trans person that's been killed in the first. <laughs> Yeah, no, it wasn't about the World Wars. Uh, this was a commemoration of mainly, I think, Brazilian um, people mixed up in prostitution, sadly. No, but last year there was a, and, and there was a picture of the, you know, the what's that American politician woman? Um, you, 
Oh, um, Admiral Rachel Levine. Yeah, and she was standing in a military uniform next oh, to God. some cenotaph with lots of poppies, and it was about uh, trans members. And I was thinking, this is a big con. There was no one that died. Yeah. So you're creating another myth. It's just, it's just fantasy. They do this with history all the time. It's like when they rewrite the Stonewall riots or, yeah. you know, or tell us that uh, we, we, we were... non-binary and Julius Yeah, we, we were at the forefront of the fight against AIDS. I don't yeah. remember you guys being there, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you can change your birth certificate, you can change the history, can't you? So sure, you, sure, you sure, might sure, just sure, say sure. the Holocaust was horrible, let's say it didn't happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 it, it's just it's just so a counter enlightenment, you know. It's counterfactual of it. Really. But then, but then, if you believe one counterfactual, you're going to believe a whole load of yeah. others as well, aren't you? If you're going to believe that men can become women and women can become men, you start off from a a basis of believing a counterfactual. So anything you add on to that is just another one that you accept. That uh, yeah. well, there's a condition in psychiatry called pseudologia fantastica, and it's a um, it's this irresistible urge to fabricate and embellish an event. And people who have really severe cases of it, they believe it themselves in the end. So you have people who are compulsive fabricating every aspect of their life. They're fabricating where they live, what they do, who they are, and and then the really bad ones they believe it themselves. And it's a bit like that, you know. If we can trans yeah. ourselves, trans history, change history. If we can get everyone else to believe it, then democratically, if eight out of nine people believe it, it must be true because we're in a democracy. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, could I, could I raise um, another subject, again, that I think we touched on before we started recording, um, as this week, Gay Men's Network wrote a letter to Baroness Burt in the House of Lords. She's introduced a very badly drafted private member's bill, and I'd, I'd be grateful if we could maybe put a link to that in the show notes, Clive. Um, but um, I just wanted to get your view, if I may, on these conversion therapy bans, because certainly the thing that occurs to me is uh, quite apart from anything else it, it must be terrifying being in the profession knowing that people are proposing a criminal statute with criminal penalties for for, for just basic clinical oh, yeah, no, it's, it's gonna, it, it'll kill off any chance of anybody confuse their gender accessing any useful help so you know I've, I've been doing this work for 23 years I will not now see any gender patient, even though I get loads referred to me all the time. I will not see any gender patient. I'll see their parents. I'll talk to their parents. But why would I Why would I see a patient if there's a risk that I'm going to get sort of prosecuted for asking them questions? I'd rather see someone with depression, anxiety, OCD, trauma, ADHD, who's, where they don't have those attendant problems. So what we found is, that, so, you know, if, you, if you're a parent and you have a child who comes home and says, oh, I think I'm a girl or a boy, vice versa, you would hope that somewhere along the line, that child would sit in front of someone who would say, really, why, why do you think that? The conversion therapy bill is, again, is very autistic. If you're not affirming, you're trying to convert them. This is, there's this binary black and white option. So anything that's not affirming, and if by affirming we mean, oh yes, you are, you're trapped in the wrong body, that means you're trans, that's affirming, it's colluding, it's grooming. Anything that's not affirming, such as exploring, questioning, asking, is branded conversion therapy, i.e. Mm. trying to convert them into something, which is a complete misnomer. So therapists will stop doing that. So your child will only be faced by someone saying, yes, that's because you're trans, you're born in the wrong body, that affirming them. And that's the real conversion therapy. So what, yeah. you're doing, what we do know is the majority of children who are confused about their gender left alone and turned devices no they're not going to kill themselves they'll end up not being confused about their gender puberty will reassure them that they are the sex they are and they'll be fine and a lot of them will end up being gay or lesbian people so that's the natural outcome so what you're doing now is as soon as you get those people who would majority of which not have a persisting gender problem you're now affirming them as something being wrong with their bodies putting them on a fast track to chopping bits of their bodies off and having permanent uh, chemical castration across sex hormones and converting them into something else. So this is the real conversion therapy. And the, the silly MPs and politicians 
who think they're protecting children by banning conversion therapy. What they don't realize is that the, the Trojan horse in conversion therapy is exploratory therapy. And the, the lobbyists are trying to ban any exploration being available to any gender confused child or adult by pretending it's conversion therapy. And that's the danger. Bloody hell. Well, when you put it like that, as I mean, we, we talk about this issue a fair bit on the show, but it's it's just, you know, how the hell did we get here? It, it, I think it's more dangerous to grow up gay today as a child than it was w w when I was a kid. No one was rushing me down the gender abattoir or anything. And, and, and as Clive said earlier, you know, most gay men can, you know, but like I said in my book, in, in my book, I've got a chapter on ROGD, Rapid on Agenda for it. So when, you know, this epidemic where, you know, 30% of some schools are identified as non-binary trans, and I'm saying it's not a medical disorder, it's the new goth yeah. cultures. And the danger is, it's the cool thing to be non-binary trans. It's just mm -hmm. the current version of goth and punk, but then they're medicalized, then you're going to castrate them, then you're going to chop bits off. And then, so, you know, it's, that's, you know, it's read the book where, where do you see this going as because i'm just terrified particularly if a labor government get in i think they will rush through a conversion therapy ban i think it will be awful and probably a stonewall style draft if that happens everything you've just outlined will occur we'll end up with a very funny looking gay community down the line um but i just wonder can you can you offer so i think there's there's, there's, two, there's two there's two options yeah. if it goes as it is one option is it becomes so ridiculous that everybody is peaked <coughs> you know and i've got i've got parents going oh well i've got loads of parents by the way as patients whose children in schools are being affirmed against parental wishes that's a thing God above. And, and one of them said well you know if there's any consolation my daughter who they're calling a son is sitting next to a pterodactyl and a cat at school so that you know people are being peaked by the utter ridiculousness of everything or if if everyone isn't Pete, then you're gonna you're gonna get a massive tsunami of uh, post-op regretters and detransitioners who will do massive lawsuits. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's already that's already kind of happening in the yeah, state. Yeah, you'll get loads. You'll get tons. You'll get a load more. It'll become mm. the norm. And I think once <clears throat> once that dam breaks in the United States as well, that's going to be particularly significant because it means that there's actual multi-million dollar lawsuits being brought against uh, private medical practitioners because they're all basically private medical practitioners in the usa um i think that might like, actually like the new lobotomy you know this this is the current medical scandal with the new lobotomy you know in the 1950s everyone was rushing to have lobotomies then they realized actually maybe it's not that great and um, this will be the new lobotomy mm. I can see that happening very easily and mm -hmm. i think uh, the, the the wheels on that are already turning because yeah. I believe there are some lawsuits ongoing in the United States as well. Um, once that becomes, like you say, as a tsunami of people, uh, we're going to see an end to all of this uh, affirmation. It's so, so mad. And it, I, I'm just struck by the paradox of, you know, you can't move these days for bloody rainbows and LGBT this, that and the other. And superficially... The gay rights movement looks very, very powerful, and it is in one respect. Well, but it's not because it's not gay. I mean, like I, so what I hate yeah. is the fact that on all mainstream media, the term gay has been erased. So yeah. I, mean, I, I didn't really like gay anyway. I prefer homosexual because I think homosexual. There's, there's, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, uh, I've come around to that. Is normal, bisexual is normal, then homosexual is normal. Gay is this horrible branded thing. Anyway, but let's say we didn't hate the term gay. Get, you will not hear the BBC, the ITV, Channel 4, you won't hear any mainstream media use the term gay. Everyone is now an LGBTQ person. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm not an LGBTQ person. Like, yeah. you know, they, they could have bandied any other minorities in there and put sort of like, you know, yeah. uh, ISIS or something else in there and, and not asked us whether they wanted us to be banded with them. Um, yeah. But they didn't. But So why can't they, if they say gay, say, say gay. They, but they never do. They just say LGBTQ person. Yeah, I've um, seen I've seen Section Twenty Eight being described as um, preventing schools from discussing LGBTQ people. It's what? 
it's not even in the legislation. It's the promotion yeah. of homosexuality. That is what the legislation yeah. but they become synonymous. was geared towards. That, I mean, that's why after a lifetime of watching uh, BBC News and Radio 4, I've made the executive decision this year to switch off both. I, 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 hate, I hate it. It's, it's propaganda. And they're meant yeah. to be neutral. It's total propaganda. And stop referring to us as LGBTQ people. And telling yeah. me that, and and Bane, Bane was awful. I'm sorry, Bane. He might as well just say foreigners or coloured people. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Bert Jackson yeah. was making that point with because I know LGB Alliance have a big campaign on this at the moment about you know please stop saying um, LGBTQ yeah. WTF law. As a brown person, I was being told I should like being referred to as Bane, and I was saying. Okay, you're basically saying coloured in a in in a different way because you're saying yeah, basically yeah, 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 yeah. white. I would much rather be called coloured. I'd much call me coloured chap any day. Do not call me bane. I you know I have no problem being called coloured, but I, I I do have a problem with calling bane. The one the one that really gets me as is queer. I I actually heard I was I was just watching um news the other night it's bbc london local news i think alice bandicarava or someone like that was doing the news and it was a, it was a story about people feeling unsafe on the tube and she said you know this next story is about queer londoners and i was just like what I said, i'm like you're the bbc don't call me bloody queer i can't ah but they're not they're, they're not they're calling people they're straight people Yes, they're yeah. not calling it's a, it's you a queer. Like, it's a bit like if straight people had reclaimed the word, had decided to use the word faggot to be to be. Yeah, queer. yeah, yeah. And then there were like LGBTQF faggots, and the faggots were actually the straight people identifying as faggots. But then you got the gay people going, "Hang on, that's not very nice using the term faggot." It's like, you know, it's like reappropriating the N word that we're not allowed to use for someone else, and them using it. Yeah. It's like, well, hang yeah. on. Yeah, as, as I often say, they, we. Queer was reclaimed by uh, lesbians and gay men in the sort of late 90s. Then it was snatched off us by straight people. And now, to me, queer just means straight people. And yeah, the only thing that makes the only thing that makes them queer is they might like a finger up the bum every now and again. <laughs> That's it. Well, who That's doesn't, what... members of the jury? <laughs> Wasn't there that singer that was like, had a, she was like, she was female. She looked like a female and she had a boyfriend, looked like a boyfriend. But she was saying that she was queer. I thought, what what aspect is queer about this? What is queer? Mm, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Laurie she, Penny did this. Laurie Penny reckoned she's queer. She she married a bloke, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Jamila Jamil decided she was queer when it was questioned. Was yeah, it was questioned why she was uh, co-hosting some voguing show, and it was pointed out this was you know primarily from black and Hispanic. Uh, gay men in new in America. Why are you being the host of this? And suddenly she discovers that she's queer in some way, unspecified. God's sake! Yeah. God's sake. Well, uh, and being heterosexual in some unspecified way. Me, I'm the, I'm the least heterosexual person you've ever met, mate. <laughs> I said in some unspecified way. Yeah, very proud, 100% homo here. Thank you very much. Super, Super quiet. I'm completely behind calling myself uh, a homosexual rather than a than a queer or gay these days because the words yeah, have too. become absolutely meaningless. If women who decide that they're men can call themselves gay, then it has no meaning at all. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. we reclaim homosexual is far more dignified. Or maybe older Victorian terms like uh, Uranian. I like that one, Uranian. <laughs> That's quite good. Invert. <laughs> sodomite. I like that. Sodomite. Sodomite's good. Sodomite. Sodomite not. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the time and we're coming up to an hour. Okay. It's, uh, so we should probably round things off. I guess what I'd like to ask you as as well is, do you see this ending anytime soon? This madness of transing children for instance that's one of my main concerns because as a gender non-conforming boy myself when i was young it terrifies me on behalf of my great nephews and nieces who may be similarly gender non-conforming certainly one of my great nephews is very gender non-conforming 
And uh, I can see him being funneled down this trans pathway. Is this going to end anytime soon? If, if, every, if every single person read D-Trans by Dr. Az Hakim, available <laughs> Amazon now, then it will end tomorrow. <laughs> so it should be available on the NHS, basically. Yeah, we'll, we'll buy it for your NHS. <laughs> okay, I think that's a great place to stop. And we will put the uh, link where you can buy Dr. Az's book in the show notes so that you can all uh, have your own handbook for counteracting some of the lies and the myths that have developed. And you can around win any, any argument at any dinner party if you read it on the subject. Absolutely. And bring it up at those dinner parties. Damn right. <laughs> Highly recommended uh, by Queen's <laughs> And yes, me and Dennis highly recommend your book, Dr. Az. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, really so much, thanks so much, Raz. Even it had to take 70 episodes to get me on. <laughs> well, we'll no doubt have you on. We'll no doubt have you on again, because I think that uh, we're going to see conversion therapy like a zombie keep coming back yeah. and uh, stomping all over our legislature. So we'll no doubt have you on again. Okay. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you, Dr. Az. Thank you, Mr. Dennis. Thank Not you to all my listeners and subscribers for listening to and subscribing to the show. We couldn't do it without you. And again, give my paid subscribers who asked for a shout out a shout out. That's Venus in Jeans and Dusty Masterson, who are two of the people who've helped us make this happen. So if you are a paid subscriber and you would also like a shout out on the show, just let me know on the Substack and I will accord to your wishes. If you want to go by a pseudonym, then you can. That's it for everyone. That's it for today. Thanks, every, uh, thanks everyone. Uh, have a lovely weekend. What's left of it? Bye. Cheerio. Bye. Bye. Bye.